Hey listeners, welcome to Grow 10x podcast. This is your host Preeti Padmanabhan, technology executive, investor and board member. In this episode, we have invited an inspiring leader and author, Shelly Arkembo, to talk about her new book, Unapologetically Ambitious. I had the pleasure of interviewing Shelly during the Against All Odds event hosted by the Freshworks for Startup program. Hi, Shelly. Thank you for joining us here today. Oh, thanks for having me, Preeti. This is great. Shelly Arkembo, former CEO of Metric Stream, based in Palo Alto. She's currently the board member in several companies, Verizon, Okta, Nordstrom, Roper, and she has held executive positions for numerous companies, including a 15-year career at IBM, where she became the first African-American woman at the company to be sent on an assignment internationally. We'll hear more about that soon. But let's get started, Shelley. You have had an illustrious career with starting with IBM, grew up the ladders, then you went through the startup journey, went through several startups, and then you picked Metric Stream as your cornerstone. And then now you're an author and you have board, board positions in several companies. Tell us a little bit about your journey. What made you navigate from corporate job into the startup world? Uh, well, Preeti, and you know, thanks for having me. It's a thrill to be here. Um, even though I was in corporate America for most, for half, well, almost a little less than half of my career, even within it, I was still doing jobs that were innovative. I was either helping to stand up new organizations or turning around, you know, divisions or groups that weren't performing well. And when you think about startups and what you're trying to do, the skills I learned were definitely transferable. So I decided that I really wanted to take those skills and be involved and lead the actual development, right? Creating the team, figuring out customer problems, interacting and having a much more uh, hands-on experience than you can have in a, in a corporation. Wonderful. Now tell us about how did you make the decision to become a CEO? Okay. Well, I am a very goal-oriented person. So I always set goals. And honestly, I set the goal of being a CEO when I was 16. It was meeting with my guidance counselor in high school when you have the obligatory conversation about what do you want to do with your life? Are you going to college or et cetera? And I said, well, I want to go to college. I want to get a job. She goes, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I said, I just want to earn enough money so I can keep the thermostat at 72 degrees. And I wanted to be able to eat out and travel. Right. <laughs> and so it was more, here are all things that I couldn't do growing up that I want to do. Um, and she said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, well, I love my organizations and my clubs. And I enjoyed leading them. And I was involved in everything, the American Field Service and the French Club and the National Honor Society, even Girl Scouts. I mean, you named it and I was engaged. But more than that, I tended to rise to the point where I was actually president or vice president. I was in a leadership position and I loved that. And to her credit, she said to me, well, if you like leading clubs and organizations, then you'll probably like leading in business because business is just pulling people together against a common objective to make things happen. And I said, great then that's my new goal. I'm going to go run a company. And when I went and looked, the people who ran companies were CEOs. So I said, great, I'm going to be a CEO. <laughs> so I was that naive and that audacious. I want to take a shift now and talk to you about your new role as an author. Uh, you have this amazing book, Unapologetically Ambitious. Tell us about it. Why did you choose to write a book? 
Uh, well, Preeti, I've tried to be accessible my entire career. So when people reach out, I respond, whether it's LinkedIn, email, whatever. Because I always wanted people to know, hey, I'm a real person, I'm down to earth. So that if I could do what I was doing, and I was a real person that they could see and touch, then they could do it too. But as I took on more and more responsibility, I still was responsive, but I couldn't meet with everyone. And I wrote the book so that I could share lessons, learned strategies and approaches that I've learned and that I've employed in my career path and life path so that others too could achieve their aspirations. Uh, so I was really, I wrote the book to be able to share. And I didn't see anything out on the market that actually talked about it candidly. You know, you hear a lot of people say, oh yes, I did this and this and this and boom, right? I'm now CEO. No, I talk about the good, bad, and the ugly. I talk about the hardships and the pain. I talk about needing a psychologist. I, talk, I mean, I talk about all that stuff because this stuff is hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean you can't do it. And I share how to help yourself, how to get help, how to get support, right? How to overcome everything from imposter syndrome to bad bosses uh, to hurdles, right, that are put in your path. Because I want people to know that the challenges they're facing, people face, and you can get over them. One of the quotes I love is the diff that a boulder or an obstacle is nothing more than a stepping stone if you look at it right. Right? It's just how high you have to raise your leg. I wanted people to really see what's possible and hopefully inspire and encourage and impact them in a way that they'll be able to achieve what they want to achieve with their lives. So that's why I wrote the book. And unapologetically ambitious, absolutely a mouthful, but I believe everybody has a right to be ambitious. And I know, especially as women and even people of color, a lot of times when we're told we're ambitious, it's actually not a compliment. And that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. We all have a right to be ambitious. And so unapologetically ambitious is everybody has a right to be ambitious and you shouldn't have to apologize for it. Phenomenal advice there. For startups to think about how they can be ambitious, especially only 5% of startups succeed on the average so how do the 95 percent get into that five percent and and i'm sure we can find numerous nuggets both from a personal level and from a company level to get inspired by your book and i love the title <laughs> oh, well, thank you thank you yes i you know i definitely talk about <clears throat> things like the I mean, metric stream i spent 15 years at metric stream so obviously metric stream is a key part of the book and that experience so i talk about the near-death experiences, right? Which, oh, by the way, in most startups, you go through near-death experiences. Um, it's not straight up and to the right. It's, but my, you know, my big advice for people who are starting businesses and starting companies, especially right now, is first of all, right now is a phenomenal time to start a business. Phenomenal. Because whenever you're in crisis, people are more open to new ideas. Most, a lot of disruption happens where the seeds of the disruption are given birth during times of crisis. So if you've got ideas for how to do things differently, now's a good time to actually go after it. The other thing that tends to happen in a crisis is any trends that were underway get accelerated. 
So there's also opportunity to get yourself actually on a fast path if you pick the right area do the research. Now, do I know exactly what that means and what businesses you should start? No, you have to do the homework. I'm just telling you that the environment is actually a pretty good one as it relates to starting an overall business. But just remember, whatever you decide to do, it's going to cost more than you think it is, and it's going to take longer. That is always the case. Yes, and we have to rally the troops there too. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, you know, why companies and startups need to be more focused on the value and the scalability rather than just about hyper growth. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting because people think, oh, the best companies are the ones that are growing the fastest. And what I would say is that's not always the truth, not over the long term. So what you really want to build is a sustainable company. One that as it grows, right, and as it scales, will continue to add value, will continue to meet the needs of the marketplace, right, will indeed be fortified and not fragile. If all you're focused on is hyper growth, then you may not be investing in some of the foundational elements that are required to support all that growth. And eventually you're going to have challenges. Um, your relationships that you are creating with customers are precious, precious. And if all you're focused on is going to get the next customer and not actually making sure that your existing customers are well cared for, well satisfied and getting a lot of value, you're going to run into challenges. So focus on sustainable growth. That doesn't mean it's slow growth. You can absolutely build a company that's growing quickly but sustainable um, so that you don't create a situation in which you have basically outgrown all of your infrastructure. Because companies have that. And then they end up having to step back, fix some things, and then go forward. Um, better to design it from the beginning. Wonderful. How can the leadership make sure that the employees feel that they, are, they can be open, you know, they can come and communicate important messages to the leadership? Yeah, that's a really important question, Preeti, because you know, I tell, I like to say, the higher you rise in an organization, the harder you need to listen and the softer you need to speak. And the reason I say that is as you rise up, people start getting afraid to tell you what's really true. You know, they don't want to ruffle the boss's feathers or they don't want to, you know, whatever it is. So they won't typically come out and say, bam. Right when you're at lower levels, they'll tell you. Right, but as you rise up and you come, they don't tell you directly. They might hint at it. They might tips. So you have to listen harder to make sure that you know what's really going on. And you have to spend time walking the halls. I say walking the halls. I mean that virtually. So making sure that you're actually checking in with people at all levels. Right, that you're doing some roundtables. That you have ways in which you hear for yourself, so that everything that you hear is not filtered through your, just your executive team. So that's one. You have to listen harder. Um, and in that process, people will see that you actually care to hear what they have to say. So it will then reinforce people actually speaking up. If they don't see you trying to listen, then they're going to think you actually don't want to hear. 
So I take a turn to a different issue that we are facing in the United States right now and what we've been seeing for the last few months, the social issues, the disturbing trends of nationalism and racism. Um, so if you don't mind, we'd love to hear your thoughts on how can people be more mindful, how can startups make sure that they are creating an inclusive culture? Yes, well, you know, it's interesting. I was actually just on CNBC this morning talking about uh, diversity at the board level and what needs to be done and focus, et cetera. So it's all through the company that we need to be thinking about diversity. And frankly, startups are in the best position. And the reason they're in the best position is you can design in diversity from the start. So you're now just building your team. So as you're building your team, if you look at it through the lens of diversity, making sure that as you're recruiting people and bringing in key roles at the senior levels as well as the lower levels, it's easier to do that when you have every role to fill. Because then frankly, you have a much broader set of people that you can target because you need everything. You need marketing, you need sales, you need legal, you need engineering, you need customer support, right? You need accounting, you need finance, you need all of it. So the best time to build in diversity is from the beginning. It's just like anything else. You get the right foundation and then from there, it goes well. Boards, same thing. You're just now building out your boards. Most startups, you know, have one or two or maybe an investor, et cetera, in terms of on the board. Well, it's easier to look and add diversity when you have a lot more slots to fill. It's harder for companies when they already have everybody in place, when they already have their whole board in place. And now when they have a certain role open up, they're looking for a very specific thing. So their candidate pool is much narrower, right? So take advantage of the fact that you are just building the company and do it with a broader lens to diversity. Because study after study, after study, after study, after study has shown that diversity actually adds more value to companies. They perform better, they deliver better shareholder value. I mean, heck, Goldman Sachs has put their money on it, right? Um, they are only taking companies public if they have diversity on their board, full stop. So we're going to see more of that kind of action because the research is very clear. So take advantage of it now. It's a whole lot easier. It is indeed a great step that you mentioned that Golden, Goldman Sachs proposed, as well as now with the board mandate from California, that every company is to have a woman board member. Mm -hmm. And now also adding more uh, color, women of color, men of color. That's indeed the right direction. And in fact, the whole pipeline problem, that is also something that we can put in the past because now there are so many new people uh, from different backgrounds who are coming in. I agree. I, I don't think there's a, I know people always talk about the pipeline problem. They say, oh, we can't find them. Well, you know, my father was a fisherman. and if you drop your hook in the same pond, you are going to catch the same fish. So you've got to look in bigger ponds or different ponds. And you know what? You'll find different fish. So same is true with regards to finding the right skill sets um, and capabilities that you need for any role, whether it's an executive role, a board role, what have you. I have one more question. It's about how do we brand our, our technology as well as our you know website etc to empower women yet to be inclusive to all because there is one piece of gender diversity and then there is other pieces of diversity that also needs to be considered so how does one do that hmm. well 
that one, this is a harder question. I'm going to assume that the product or service that you're offering fits everybody. Um, and so if you're trying, if you want to just make sure that people know that you care about diversity um, and care about women, et cetera, then show them. Make sure it's reflected in your team. So when they go to your website, they look to see who, who is the leadership. If women are in leadership, people of color in leadership, they'll know, hey, that that's actually important to you. They see people on your board like that, that's important to you. But I don't think if you're selling something that's broad-based, I don't think you have to brand your product uh, specifically to any particular gender. I think it's all in how you communicate. So what, what, um, you know, what pictures do you use? When you're showing examples of people sitting around a table, are they actually mixed genders, mixed race? Or are you showing a whole bunch of, you know, white men around the table, et cetera, right? Or are you doing, so there are a lot of ways to actually show that you care about diversity um, in how you put out the image of your company through how you design your website, how you design your teams, et cetera. Interestingly, we have another brand question. Now it's about personal brand. The question is, when should founders ideally start focusing on building a personal brand? Is it from the beginning or in later stages? Honestly, as a founder, your brand goes neck and neck with your company. You know, think about the, the great, you know, the great founders, whether it's Mark Benioff, right? Or, I mean, you can pick people, even Larry Ellison, you know, um, people who have founded companies, their companies and their own brand are just intertwined because, and it should be because that's, if you founded it and you built it and you've been with it over time, you know, your values should be showing up in the company, right? The company values should reflect your values. So I, I actually wouldn't worry about building the personal brand. Um, I'd focus all my energy on building the brand in the company that reflects my values and making sure that that's where I'm spending the energy and the time. Because at the end of the day, whether or not that company succeeds or doesn't will indeed be a reflection of you. So put all your time on the company until you pass the baton, right? Or step out or whatever it is, and then you can focus on you. But I would put all my energy in the company. So you actually early on knew what you wanted to do at a young age. Uh, but thinking back, say if you were to talk to your younger self, those 16-year-old self, is there anything you would say that you would like to do differently through your life? Hmm. You know, I'll be really candid, Preeti. Um, I'm happy with how my life has unfolded now and where I am right now. Now, does that mean that I'm happy with absolutely everything that happened? No. Have I had hard times and challenges and obstacles and, and personal tragedies? The answer is I absolutely have. Um, would it be better not to have had those? The answer is yes. But I'm also a believer that everything that happens leads to the next thing that happens. And if I changed any building block along the way, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'd be somewhere else. So, and that's just the, you know, the fate piece probably of me. So I, I don't want to change anything, even though not all of it was good. And some of it was actually pretty bad. And you'll read about some of that in the book. Um, I still wouldn't change it because at the end of the day, it's put me where I am and I'm happy with my life. Phenomenal advice there. So, 
unapologetically ambitious. You're right, that was a mouthful. That's going to become a favorite book for several of us. Tell us some of your favorite books and what are other books you recommend to your audience? Absolutely. So one is Trillion Dollar Coach. So Trillion Dollar Coach was written about Bill Campbell, who happened to have been a a mentor and sponsor of mine, uh, the late Bill Campbell. And it really shares his management leadership philosophy. And so for anyone who wants to be a great leader of people, they should read Trillion Dollar Coach. And if you're building a business, then you should want to be a good leader. So that's number one I would put up there. Uh, Number two is Wayne Baker's book, All You Have to Do is Ask. That's what it's called. All You Have to Do is Ask. Because it's surprising to me how many people actually are, are reticent to ask for what they need or for what they want. And it's very difficult to be successful if you aren't asking for things, whether it's for your company or for you personally. So getting comfortable with how to ask um, and how to do that effectively is important in your overall career and in your success building a company. Mm -hmm. Another one is Undaunted, Kara Golden's book. Kara was the founder uh, and and CEO of Hint, Hint Water. Mm -hmm. Here's a great example of someone who had an idea for a company that everybody thought was terrible. We don't need another water company right? Why, why would you bother going into space? So she had lots and lots of naysayers, but she believed in the value and in the idea. And in her book, she talks about, you know, that whole self-reliance, self-belief, and then how she actually worked through so many hurdles and naysayers and the whole bit to truly build a powerhouse of a company in Hint Water. So if you're an entrepreneur, it's a good, it's a good read to help remind you Uh, and show you, frankly, some of the tactics and techniques to use. So those would be three just off the top. And then, of course, I was about saying, the fourth book on the list is mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Unapologetically ambitious, take risks, break barriers, and create success on your own terms. This will really give you a blueprint for how to improve the odds to get whatever it is that you want, whether it's building a company, whether it's achieving the CEO status, whether it's developing a product. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want, I try to share a lot of advice on how to make it happen. Audience, unapologetically ambitious. When you get a chance, pick up the book and check it out. Thank you so much, Lily. Really appreciate your time here today. Thank you. You too, Preeti.